I see it right now as like, I'm moving more and more towards that, that passive role long-term. What I'm really passionate about today is, is helping my friends and family and, you know, other acquaintances that I've met invest in quality commercial real estate, specifically multifamily apartments. Uh, and so I love doing that. It's, it's what I enjoy. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? You know, it's funny you ask that. So I was born in uh, in Oklahoma. I'm an Okie by birth, and we have an ice cream local to here called Brahms. And they have a flavor called chocolate peanut butter cup. It's like chocolate ice cream with Reese's in it. And so, you know, during the summer, it gets hot outside. That's that's what I'm going for typically. It's funny you said that. So I always ask people like, what's an overrated and underrated dessert just to get a conversation yeah. going if I'm in a, in a yeah. room? And somebody said overrated is peanut butter and ice cream together or peanut butter and chocolate. And I'm like, mm. you are crazy. Yeah. Underrated. Overrated is cheesecake. <laughs> overrated yeah. as Twizzlers. Why do Twizzlers yeah. still exist? Okay, I don't even think of that as a dessert. That's a whole different category. <laughs> so there you go. But I agree. Oh, I love it. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jonathan. My wife, Paula, and I are, are multifamily syndicators. Um, we live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and do investing primarily here in Texas and also in Oklahoma. So we started investing in real estate about five years ago, did the single family thing for a couple years, specifically uh, short-term rentals. And then about three years ago, shifted over to multifamily, uh, started a syndication business, and we invest actively and passively in multifamily. So that's that's our story in a nutshell. Awesome. Well, you got a lot of things going on with short-term, active investment, passive investments. Before we get into all of that, where did your real estate journey begin? Yeah, so it began with my wife and I. We we got married about almost six years ago. And shortly after we got married, my wife informed me that we needed to have a hobby together. And, you know, that was probably the last thing on my mind. Uh, I'm a, I've been an avid runner for many years. And so that was what I did, you know, but she said we need to do something together. And lo and behold, shortly after that, I was reading the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm an avid reader. I read a lot. And that's what kind of got the spark going of like, hey, maybe we should invest in something outside of just our 401ks with our jobs. And so, you know, begin learning about real estate. She has a business degree, has that sort of entrepreneurial spirit. So do I. And so we started investing as basically a hobby to do together. And was your first investment, was it short term or was it like a long term single family? Yeah. So, you know, we we originally thought we had a small um, single family home that we lived in and we bought it when we got married. Um, and so our original plan was just save up money and buy another single family home to rent. Well, one day my wife came home and told me that what we need to do is house hack a fourplex because we could best leverage our, um, you know, personal loan opportunities, um, that we had. And so lo and behold, a few months later, we wind up moving into a fourplex and renovating it while we live there. The problem was, you know, me being an engineer, I had done all the numbers and thought I had calculated, hey, we're going to cash flow three or 400 a month. But when we actually got into the property and saw the amount of deferred maintenance and issues with it, we were probably negative cash flowing a few hundred a month. And so, I mean, it wasn't something that was going to bankrupt us. We both had great jobs, but it was pretty discouraging 
you know, when you go into something like that, thinking this is going to make me money and then it winds up sucking your money. And so, uh, the, the saving grace is this fourplex is across the street from the AT&T stadium where the Cowboys play, oh, sweet. uh, here in Arlington. And so, you know, we got the idea of, of doing short-term rental and converted one unit and tried it out and it took off and did fantastic. And so he did the next one and then the next one and then tried to get out of the one we were in and move somewhere else to do the fourth one. And we went from negative cash flowing about 300 a month to positive cash flowing about 3000. And so that's kind of when we hit that niche and, and kind of realized we'd, we'd hit gold with it, you know? So a lot to unpack there. Let's start with, how did you get the numbers wrong? What did, what did you miss? Or if somebody's listening to this first time, wh- where did you make the mistake and how would you advise on like making sure they don't do that? You know, when you do analysis in real estate, there there's some stuff you can be pretty confident in, right? Like if you look at your taxes, at least for this year, you know what it's going to be this year. Uh, you look at your insurance, you know what it's going to be. You look at your interest payments, your mortgage payments, you know what that's going to be. But there's some things you don't know. And one of those is maintenance. And so, you know, on, on big multifamily, we do very detailed due diligence on properties to try to get an idea of the current physical condition and what it's going to take to uh, you know, bring anything up to the level we expect it to be and to keep the maintenance going, you know, ongoing with it. Um, I didn't know that all the time. This is our first real estate purchase. You know, I'd read a few books, listened to a few podcasts, and that was about it. And so I think someone said, oh, 10% of your gross income is plenty or 5% or I don't even remember what the number was. And so, you know, I had that assumption. And for this property, that assumption was incorrect. And so yep. that's that's really what it came down to. And in a shot, I'd also say another thing was the the tenants we had. Uh, you know, the worst tenants I've, I've ever had are the ones that are inherited. And it was definitely the case with this property. And so, you know, they didn't take care of stuff and, and that leads to things breaking, um, you know, a lot faster than, than what they otherwise would. It's funny you said that about the maintenance, because what I learned in my single family journey is that the maintenance 10% is probably about right over a 20 year hold. What they don't tell you is when you need to make sure that you have that cash available. So I'm going through a run right now where we're having to do a $20,000 renovation on some damage that a previous tenant did on a property, which I've got the money set aside for that. But boy, if that would have happened in the first month or year or five years that I held the property, that would have been a huge, uh, huge burden to swallow. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and we can get to it later, but it's one of the reasons I really like multifamily a lot. The, the economies of scale lends itself to kind of smoothing out those those crises to where it's a little bit more predictable, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So you've uh, scaled the single short-term rental. You turned that quadplex into all short-term rentals. Uh, I think one time I heard that you have 20 short-term rentals today. What What is your short-term rental portfolio? 20 minus one. So we've got, we've got 19. All but we have four that are arbitrage, which means, you know, we're renting it like a master lease on another fourplex and then re-renting it. But all the rest are ones that we either own or we've partnered with people on um, all here in kind of the Arlington area. Um, so, yeah, we've just kind of grown it one at a time, two at a time, whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, we have enough scale where we have several cleaners who work for us full time, a couple people who run the management side of the house, the guest communication uh, and so it's made it a lot more of a, a streamlined or scalable business than what it used to be for sure. Uh, but it is very hands-on. I, you know, I'm, I'm involved in it, you know, probably on a daily basis in some way or another. Um, so, so there is still work that, you know, has to be done, unfortunately. 
you, you you mentioned the master lease. If that's or, or arbitrage, if that's new yeah. to somebody, would you mind explaining what that is? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so you know, you kind of have two options when you're doing short term rental. If you think about it, you can go buy a property and be the owner and then re rent it on Airbnb, which is actually what I recommend doing. Uh, or you can go rent a property from an owner and then re rent it at a higher amount via Airbnb Verbo short term rental um strategy and so that's commonly referred to as arbitrage um arbitrage in my opinion and i'm not an i'm not i have four of them i'm not an expert there's people with over a hundred so mm-hmm. uh, but in my opinion it's not as viable of a strategy now as what it used to be because if you look at the market over the past few years rental rates have just gone through the roof you know we've had double digit rent increases for the past two to three years now um but the the rates of Airbnb or, or short-term rental have not gone up the same way. They've probably been about flat, maybe even gone down a little bit since directly post-COVID. So, uh, you know, that basically reduces the gap between what you're paying for rent and what you're able to get on that short-term rental. So just just if it's a strategy you want to use, you got to be very cognizant of that. Make sure you have plenty of buffer there. How did you find the arbitrage? Did you find them yourself? Did you find somebody else that partnered with you? How did you find those? Yeah, I've done a few of them. This particular one I found on like, you know, maybe Zillow or some rental website like Zillow. Uh, just from an individual, uh, I tried doing the corporate thing, you know, renting from apartments and, you know, had a lot of problems with that, working with big property managers and stuff. It didn't work out as well. Uh, and so I like that, you know, I have a good relationship with the owner of the property and, um, she just leases all four units to us. So we have the whole building. Uh, you know, we don't have anyone running around doing crazy things there outside of our people. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's worked out pretty well. Uh, I'm very cautious about it. I'm not really necessarily trying to expand the arbitrage world for the, the reasons I explained above, but, uh, you know, if you found the right property, the right market, it could be a good strategy still. Got it. Got it. Where are you right now with your short-term rentals? Are you growing your portfolio? Have you stopped? What what are you what are you doing right now? Yeah, so it's interesting. We we bought a duplex a year ago that needed a full rehab. Um, so I don't know if a year ago counts as expanding or not, right? We're we're pretty much focused on multifamily, but we bought that because it was a block from all our other properties and you know had some value add to it. I'm a big fan of multifamily. So I've got an eight unit, I got a fourplex, I got a duplex. Uh, just when you look at the price point per unit and what you can rent it for, the returns typically turn out way better, like what it should in long-term rentals or what it used to, all those kinds of properties. Um, so I like those types of deals a lot. Um, I'm not as focused on it and here's why. So when we started in the short-term rental business back in like 2019, so four years ago, um, I would buy deals. It took some work. You had to look, you had to underwrite, you had to put in a lot of offers. But like I bought more two, three deals that would be 20 to 25% cash on cash returns. And so, you know, you put in 50K into a deal and you're getting 12 and a half thousand a year cash flow out of that deal, which is pretty good. Um, you can't find those deals now. Now you're looking at, you know, 12, 13, maybe 15% if you did really well. But I think our duplex we bought last year was like 13. And so, um, you know, I'm looking at other other assets now where the cash flow, maybe it's two or 3% below that 13, uh, but it's 100% passive. 
So there's no management, there's less risk. Uh, and some of those are, are, you know, high cash flow multifamily deals. Um, also have started doing some looking at like self storage type deals, um, stuff that's, that's more passive and it's slightly less returns, but definitely worth it for the reduced headache. Yeah, I um I have a general rule and I tell investors this all the time that on the active side, if you can't make more than twenty-five percent of your returns, whether that's cash on cash plus equity or just straight a blend of both, then it's not worth your time. Specifically because I'm talking to people that have higher income jobs, whether they're in technology, they're doctors, they're entrepreneurs and things like that, your value is spent somewhere else. Um, yeah. do you have a rough gauge on kind of what you look at and your numbers of what you want to see on a return standpoint before you decide to take on an active project? Yeah, I would say that's a great question. Uh, definitely we do on the multifamily side, uh, on the, on the short-term rental side, you know, I think it would probably take that. I, so, so for me, short-term rental, this point's a cash flow thing. Yeah. Uh, the markets I'm in, they appreciate here at DFW. If you buy something, it will appreciate. So I'm not worried about that as much. Um, but you know, I'd like to see like 15% for it to be worth my time at this point, uh, and money. Cause I have other options, you know, for, for investing, you know, in the, in the commercial world, um, on the multifamily side of things for our passive investors, we look for a minimum, uh, 15% IRR, which usually translates to like 16, 17% average annual return. Uh, cash flow, you have to be a little more flexible on, on those deals, particularly if you're in a very competitive market. Um, it's much lower today than it was two years ago and even lower than it was four years ago, unfortunately. Uh, and so that's actually the reason we have two different markets that we look in both Texas and Oklahoma, because our Oklahoma assets tend to be a little more cash flow oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, that's it. The cash flow kind of comes down to the market and the investor, but the overall returns we're looking for are, are minimum 15% IRR. Got it. Got it. So you mentioned some of the reasons why you moved into multifamily, um, uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, what I see is that a lot of folks are either short-term rental or passive, bigger commercial properties. You have this nice blend of both. Why did you decide to make the blend of both? Why did you decide to jump into multifamily beyond the scale economics, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, the easy answer is I think it was the scale, the economics, but I would say, you know, my background's engineering. I love numbers. Uh, my favorite thing about apartments, about commercial is the method of valuation. It's the fact that I can go into a property and by increasing the NOI of the property, it automatically is worth more. And that's not necessarily true in the residential world, which is what, you know, most of our short-term rental properties are. Uh, and so, you know, I like that ability to, we call it forcing appreciation on the property. I like the ability to force appreciation. When you look at the numbers for an active investor, it just makes a lot more sense. If you're wanting to make a full-time business out of it, it makes more sense. Now, that's not to say the short-term rental thing is not good. I, you know, have, I basically first replaced my engineering income through short-term rental. So it's obviously a great, a great, uh, investment strategy. Uh, I would say the the stability of it is still TBD. It hasn't been around forever. Uh, there's a lot of regulations and stuff that it changed the dynamics of how the market works. Uh, the economics that that we're in now cause it to to react differently than what it did a few years ago. So you know, when COVID everything shut down, and then after COVID everyone ran out to go to vacation, and now with the economy kind of going down, we're seeing less people stay, and so. It's been great overall, but it's just a little bit less stable, I would say, than than the multifamily. So I like that. 
I like the scalability, the method evaluation, uh, and the stability behind behind commercial, specifically at Larvitz. Yeah, yeah. I get asked this question all the time, and I would love to hear your answer. Is like, if you're putting together these apartment deals, you've got short-term rentals, you obviously have a pretty good funnel of deals that you can look at. Why would you even invest passively in other people's operations, other people's syndications? Yeah, there's there's several reasons. Uh, you know, one of their and it's it's different story now than than I think what it was a few years ago. So a few years ago, I invested in a couple of deals just because I was learning about the business and felt like it was a great way to make relationships, see how professionals you know were were running their businesses. Um, so that was probably my motivation early on. Today, I would say there's a few things. Um, one, when I left my my corporate job about a year and a half ago, I moved all my retirement funds over to what's called a, a, a solo 401k, same as like a self-directed IRA type account that you can invest in real estate with. But one of the few rules you have to follow is you can't invest in your own projects. It's illegal. And so, you know, I could just pull all the money out of the account and I could do what I want with it, take the hit. Some people do that. But what I chose to do instead was look for other operators doing projects I'm interested in and investing in their deals to become a better passive investor, to learn how other people are running their business and to develop strategic relationships, you know, with potential partners. Um, and so that's what I use that money for. Um, another reason that I invest passively in, in deals today is is people who have skill sets or whatever and projects that I don't. So uh, recently I've had a little bit of interest in storage, uh, primarily for what I said a minute ago, that I think it's a, a good complement in today's economy, um, instead of short-term rental where, you know, you're just a little bit less cash flow, but a hundred percent passive. And so, you know, I'm not trying to be an expert at everything in the role. I'm, we at Apogee are hyper-focused on multifamily, but I do have friends that do storage and they're experts at that. And so, um, you know, I look at those deals as well. So those are a few reasons. Gotcha. Gotcha. You mentioned a uh, uh, self-directed 401k versus an IRA. It, is there a reason why you did the 401k option versus the IRA? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not a CPA, not a tax guy, all that, but um, self-directed IRA is going to be the best pick for most people uh, because anyone can have one. Any American can have a, 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 a self-directed IRA. Uh, a solo 401k, if you think about it, you know, you work for another employer with a W-2 and they have a 401k plan with some custodian, um, with mine at Bell, it was Fidelity. And that custodian via your employer provides you a 401k. So when you are your own employer, as I now am, Apogee is a company that employs me, uh, you can provide yourself a 401k. And so a solo 401k is basically the same thing as a self-directed IRA, except it's no longer subject to what we call a UBIT tax. And without going into too many details on a self-directed IRA, the portion of the investment that is leveraged can be taxed by what's called a UBIT tax. Basically, the government saying, well, you're making money off leverage, so you have to pay some taxes on it that tax is not applicable on a solo 401k. And so that's the reason I have it. Uh, it wouldn't work for everyone because not everyone has a company they can house it in or they could create a company to house it in, right? And start their own business. But, uh, you know, it, it's not a good fit for everyone, but for me, it was. I um, This is why I love having the podcast is we're 150 episodes deep now, very familiar with UBIT tax, very familiar with self-directed IRA, custodial accounts and things like that. Had no idea that, 
that you could do that with a solo 401k or a uh, yeah. self-directed 401k. So I might be looking into that here, here soon. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so where Jonathan, where's, where, where, where do you see yourself going here? So you've got a good portfolio short term, you built a good business there on the multifamily side. Where do you see yourself in like five years? Yeah, that's a good question, you know, and, and probably I should have a little bit more of a, like a written plan, you know, where I want to be in five years. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm, I'm that level organized. Uh, but I am, I'm a go-getter. I'm an achiever. And so, you know, kind of what I see my real estate journey as is it's stepping stones, right? So I mentioned we started out, it was me sitting on the couch reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and buying our first house hack, right? That was, and, and at that point we had no intention of being full-time investors, my wife and I. Um, and then, you know, we started doing the short-term rental and said, Hey, this is going to be a great side. And then eventually it was full-time and I quit my engineering job and started the multifamily business. And so I see it right now as like, I'm moving more and more towards that, that passive role long-term. What I'm really passionate about today is, is helping my friends and family and, you know, other acquaintances that I've met invest in quality commercial real estate, specifically multifamily apartments. Uh, and so I love doing that. It's, it's what I enjoy. And so I'm very active in that. Uh, but my long-term goal would just to be, you know, be an investor, just, just passively invest and, and then spend time outside of investing, doing other things in life that, you know, I'm interested in. So, yeah, well, we were chatting beforehand. You are, uh, one of the first people on the show that has done multiple Ironmans. In fact, we learned that we did the, our first Ironman together back in 2014 and didn't know each other. And I'll have to go look up your race time because that was, uh, not a fun <laughs> day for me being the first time. Um, uh, I don't think mine's much better. <laughs> tell me, a, let's start out a little bit on triathlon. Tell me a little bit about your triathlon journey. Yeah, it's funny. So I, uh, I started running when I was a kid, uh, just for exercise, just for the challenge, like a couple miles here and there, you know, nothing super serious. And I did my first marathon when I was a freshman in college and I got the butt and I kept running marathons mm -hmm. all through college. Uh, about the time I graduated, one of my friends called me and he's like, Hey, what if we did an Ironman together and like, we could go get the tattoo. And I was like, I mean, I kind of knew what it was. Like I knew you had to swim and bike and run, but I didn't really, I didn't bike a lot, a little bit, but not a lot. And I didn't swim at all. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Whatever, you know? So he's like, okay, we're going to do a half first. And, uh, so he trained none and, and didn't race it at all. I trained this much, which was not enough and finished, but about killed myself in the process. <laughs> Mind you, I'm 19 years old. So it's not like I didn't have quite the, the, the focus I would say that, that I do today. But I loved it. It's a great sport, and I love the people in the sport a lot. Um, you know, we were talking before the show about how it's really about a personal challenge. It's going out there and, like, being the best you can be on a given day. And there's just something really special about that. And so, uh, you know, I've done done three fulls now, a bunch of halves, and then, like I said, I've ran tons of marathons. That's that's what I actually did for a lot of years before I even started triathlon. All right, a couple rapid-fire questions. Do you have the tat? No, I actually never got it. So, uh, just the car sticker. Uh, what's your favorite sport of the three? Oh, running, hands down. What's your PR on your marathon time? Uh, two fifty. That's legit. You ever run Boston? Yeah, yeah. Ran two fifty three in Boston uh, seven years ago. So yeah, nice, yeah. respectable, very respectable. What's your uh, what's your favorite race? 
Ooh, uh, I could say Boston for the the marathon. Uh, there's a half Ironman that's in Conroe, just north of Houston. It's it's definitely my favorite. Beautiful course, very well organized. I really love it. I've done it three times, so that's probably my favorite. Gotcha. What kind of bike do you ride? Um, uh, I have a Canyon. Uh, what is it? Speed Max. Oh, you have the Speed Max? Yeah. So do they have the one that Jan rides for Dana? Uh, it's probably the one he rode like four or five years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I, I mean, I think he gets a new one every year, but, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fast bike. There's no doubt. That's the, uh, that's the next upgrade that I'm going to get. I ride the Scott Plasma that Sebastian used to ride and, um, it's my next oh, upgrade yeah. to grab the Speed Max, but for the longest time they wouldn't sell it in America. And then 2020 happened, 2021 happened, and I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know if they sell them in America anymore. Do they sell them in America, or do you have to get it shipped from Europe? Uh, so, so I'm cheap. I bought my used, right? So, like, okay. I buy my bikes from someone that they buy it, and then a year later they're tired of it. And so, no, I got a really sweet deal on it, probably like you know half price or something. Of course, it's three or four years old; it's not brand new. Uh, but the guy sold it to me with like a carbon disc and yeah wheels and every i mean the whole setup so um it's an awesome it's an it's an awesome rig um my favorite thing is electronic shifting yeah. uh before this i rode a surveilo p3 is just you know the old-fashioned yeah, the, yeah. the electronic shifting's a game changer like it's awesome have you ever been out for a ride and that battery died not yet <laughs> yeah my uh so i got a buddy into the sport he did a full with me one time um his first and only full is what he will say and he bought a little giant that had electronic shifting. And I'm, yeah. I've never ridden an electronic shifting bike, so I don't, I don't even know where to start or anything. We get out there, and he's like, man, I can't figure this out. Battery was dead. And fortunately for him, <laughs> unfortunately, we were in the hills of Austin coming back. And so, like, it was just straight uphill all the way back, and he was stuck in a big gear. And I'm like, well, <laughs> sucks to be you. <laughs> Good way to learn. <laughs> yeah, at least you're in the big gear, right? Not just yeah. all day, so. Yeah. Uh, last question on this topic is how do you think Iron Man has made you a better investor? Man, that's a great question. You know, uh, I think one of the biggest things in in real estate and in triathlon is mindset. It's, I mean, yeah, your body has to be engaged. Yeah, in real estate, you have to be smart or work hard or whatever, but like it's how you think about yourself and what you're able to achieve. So, you know, people start out running a marathon or doing an Ironman and like it sets the bar higher for the rest of their life of what they expect and believe out of themselves. And the same thing in, uh, in the same thing in, in real estate, right? Like I remember working on our first syndication project, our first, our first big syndication project and reading the book Miracle Equation. And that book talks about like, you know, unshakable faith. And, and what was the other one? Something like, oh, I'm getting the terms wrong, but like enormous effort, right? So it's the effort and the faith together that help you achieve those big goals. And that's really what it comes down to. You got to believe in yourself and you got to put in the work. And so, you know, you realize that in the, in the athletic world. And I think that translates over into, you know, what you believe about yourself in, in the business world too. hundred percent. Um, since I'm a narcissist, I'm going to give my two cents on this. Cause I don't think I've ever been asked to go for it. It's, it's the idea of like setting a long-term goal and then breaking something down. I tell mm. people all the time, the hardest part about Ironman and racing is, uh, and all that is not the race. It's the training. 
when you yeah. wake up in the morning at 3 a.m. to go drive an hour, to ride your bike for six hours, hop off, go do an hour run, drive back an hour, shower, eat, sleep, wake up the next day and basically do it all again, three-hour run and an hour ride to cool down. Like, if you go through that process for 25 weeks, the race is easy. Yes, it yeah. Yes, it stinks. Yes, it's going to suck throughout the process. But, like, just showing up to race an Ironman, I have so much respect for everybody that's at that racing day because they've yeah. sacrificed so much to have the audacity that they could finish that, that they've already won in my book, I think. A hundred percent. It's funny because, like, I'm not a super, like, emotional kind of person, but so I did my my second Ironman here in Texas um, the, the year before COVID, so 2019. And I signed up again to do it in 2020 uh, to try to get a PR in the race and trained all year and then COVID hit and they canceled the race four weeks before the race. Yeah, I remember. So, you know, yeah. your, your, training, your training's done at that point. You've got like maybe one hard week left and you're tapering, right? So I trained all year for 2021. Five weeks before the race, they canceled the race again for COVID. So I trained for the third time in 2022 for the same race six months of just intense training and i remember lining up that start line it's actually tomorrow will be one year ago and like just feeling the tears like come up yeah. just from the effort and not just my own but like i knew there were so many people around me who were literally in the same position and just like what it took to get to that day it's just i mean it's something you never forget yeah well and i think too like one race it was raining and i was following it and People were asking, like, well, why didn't they just push it out four days? And I'm like, you don't understand that tapering for these races is a whole two-week process. Like, you don't yeah. just pick up and move a race a month away because it just screws up with your body. And I think yeah. another thing I love about the sport is, like, you get one or two of these a year. You don't go race these every single year. Two is pushing it for amateur athletes. So yeah. this idea that, oh, well, they... They could just sign up for another one three months from now. It's like, no, that jacks up everything that you have. Plans. Yeah. 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 Your, your whole life revolves around trading when you're in the middle of it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that may sound like miserable to some people that are listening to this. But what I would say is dedicate your life to something for a full year. And it'll be amazing. Mm -hmm. One, the things you can go accomplish. But two, how it just changes your perspective, like you said, on the things that yeah. you can go accomplish in your life. So if that's real estate, like, you know, you've got this goal of 10 years from now, you want to be this or whatever, break it down. What do you need to do today? What's the task you can commit to every single day? And what you'll notice in a year after doing that is things just start compounding so quickly mm -hmm. that like, I bet you feel right now that you could go run a half. Actually, two weeks ago, I signed up for a half marathon here in Nashville just because I'm like, hmm, I haven't raced in a while. So let's just go see where I'm at. So like, <laughs> What are you doing? Are you ready for that? And I'm yeah. like, well, I mean, the training's there. The hay is in the barn. I know yeah. I can finish it. It's just now a matter of testing myself to see where I'm at. So I don't know. Well, I like that. Yeah. Um, well, Jonathan, I'm going to switch this down to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Mm. Uh <laughs> Wow, that's tough. Um, I think my if I had to pick one favorite, and, and you may have never heard of it, it's called Dream Big. It's by this guy named Bob Goff. And so it's kind of that question you asked a minute ago of like, where do you want to be in five years? What do you want to do with your life? And a lot of times you read books like that, and they're very up in the clouds. Well, he really brings it down to earth, so to speak, and is like, 
you know, what, what do you want your life to look like? And then, you know, basically reverse engineer what you need to get there. Um, it's a great book. I recommend it to anyone. Dream Big by Bob Goff. Perfect. We'll link that in the show notes. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the things you do every day? Uh, so <laughs> aside from, from, uh, training for races, you know, uh, I'm an early morning person. So during the week I get up at four every day and I start to get cranky about nine o'clock at night. So don't, don't call me after then, you know? Um, so I love getting up early. I love the fact that the first two hours of my day, no one ever bothers me. And when you're a business owner, that's a big deal. Um, so, uh, I do that. I train, I try to spend time, you know, with my wife and family. Um, you know, I, I think it's really a lot of the little things, right? And now that obviously the, the middle of the day, my work day, I'm doing, you know, work related tasks, which changes every day, you know, when you're an entrepreneur. So got it. Got it. Our third one is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Man, you know, that's tough because I've been, I've been blessed. I've had a lot of people in my life that have, you know, really done a lot for me. I've gotten a lot of great advice from people. But um, one of the times I was really struggling in my life was when I was a, a sophomore in college. I just transferred to A&M uh, to study aerospace engineering. And I mean, your, your first one or two semesters there is no just to be a B. I mean, they just, they just beat you down, you know, and I was really struggling in a couple of classes. And, you know, one of my, my friend's dads, who was also an, an engineer that graduated from A&M, he, he looked at me, he was like, Jonathan, you just got to get up one more time and they knock you down. That's literally all you got to do. And like, I think he said it very casually, but like, it's literally stuck with me to stay. Like you literally just have to be that much better than what you need to be, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's what it would be. You just have to get up one more time, then they knock you down. Oh, like yeah. It. Our fourth one is, what is the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Oof, man, that's that's the nice right there. Um, wow. Um, that's tough. Um, you know, for me, I'm I'm a big, uh, you know, kind of my my um, the way I express kind of love to other people is helping them. I love to help people. Um, and, and my wife, my wife's Colombian. She was born in Columbia, uh, you know, moved here when she was 13. And so we together, you know, really have a passion for helping places in the world that are very poverty stricken. And we've done that in, in a variety of different ways. But one of those ways is building homes in Mexico. So we've gone on a trip a couple different times to, to build homes there. And, uh, like, honestly, it's like one of the most impactful weekends you'll ever have. And so. I don't know. It's it's really nothing on my part, right? You go as a team with twenty other people, and 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 it's honestly more of a blessing to you, I think, than it is even the people you're helping in many ways. But man, that's like if you want to give back in in a big way, that's that's a great way to do it. That's it. That's it. Well, our fifth and last one is: if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? <laughs> so you queued me up for this, you know, the right before the the show started, and I still don't know that I have the perfect answer. Uh, I love to read biographies about people. You know, I mentioned I'm an avid reader. I love to read about other people. I try to learn from their stories. There's a million people I admire. One person who I've been reading about a lot recently is Abraham Lincoln. And what I really like about him is, you know, when when he was alive, but really most of his life, but particularly as president, he wasn't the most popular guy in the world. 
but he always thought things through and did what he thought was right. You know, even if it didn't put him in the best light, even if it wasn't going to get him reelected, he did what was right. And that's why he's remembered the way that, that he is today. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think sitting down and hanging out with him and just saying like, you know, where did that come from would be an awesome conversation to have. So I have a list of people I would answer the question with, and he's on there because he's one of the few people that when he got elected, he brought in his rivals. And there's a good book out there called Team of Rivals. And mm. I think that was just, you know, America's really divisive at that time. And he just said, like, I don't agree with you, but you have people agree with you. And I need to know why they agree with you. And I need you on my team if we're going to survive this crisis that we're in. So he brought people, which is typically a nepotism thing to do, is you hire people that agree with you and on, on your team yeah. and their rubber stamps and things like that. He brought people in that were cognitively dissident from him and different than him to make sure that he had their point of view when trying to decide the fate of our country. So glad you mentioned it. World, world would be a lot better place if we all did that, no? A hundred percent, hundred percent. But Jonathan, fantastic conversation. Um, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you or learn more about you, where's the best place we could point them? Yeah, 100%. So our, our company's name is Apogee Capital. Um, our website is Apogee MFC, like multifamilycapital.com. We've got tons of resources. You can reach out and contact me from there. I'm also extremely active on LinkedIn. So that's another way you can get a hold of me. Perfect. We will link all those in the show notes. And then Jonathan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.